So this is kind of an addendum, right? It's writing on the, on the back of Pastor Joe's message from last week. So, you know, if you want to pair them together, if you're watching them on the video or anything like that, or if you're trying to remember what was happening, hopefully you brought your notes because we're going we're gonna to reach into a couple of those things. But basically, I want to look at it from a different lens. For those of you, you know, that are here on a regular basis, you know that I, I lead. Obviously, I was leading up here this morning um, in the music. Um, you know, some people might call that a worship leader. I refrain from that term because there's really no one that can lead worship except for the spirit. That's simply not a human's job. Um, but I do. I, I mean, I'm up here all the time. So I have a different lens in which I look at some of the stuff we were talking about. And we've been talking about love. And so the title of this is called The Fruit of the Spirit, Love Expressed. Okay. Um, part two. So... Last week, Pastor Joe uh, mentioned a few different types of love, and I actually took Greek when I was in college, which was dumb. I should not have done that. But I also really wanted to get more into the scripture. At the time, I was very much so you know, involved with the uh, Christian group on campus and uh, doing a lot of those things um, in ministry that I thought were, you know, made it really important for me to have a better understanding of like, oh, this is, this is what the word came from. This is actual language. I, I love language. Um, so it was like, okay, this shouldn't be too hard. It's really hard. Um, really, I mean, what did I got? I think I got C's in both those classes in my mind. I still learned so much. Um, but I remember learning about a couple of these different words. I mean, we, we all heard of agape, just like, you know, Pastor Joe said last week, but some of us aren't really familiar with some of the other ones. Um, I'd never heard of storge or storage. I'm not sure which way to say it. It's ancient Greek, so nobody speaks it anymore. Um, Philos, which we have, you know, Philadelphia, we talked about. Um, I found a new one, Chania or Xenia. Um, it's another, another one that they have. And Eros, um, which we are probably familiar with. All of them are different forms of the one word we have in English, love. Okay. And a lot of other languages have that same benefit of being able to describe love in different ways and the different types and the different um, ways it manifests itself. So... I have an exercise for you guys. Okay, uh, we had a picture of uh, somebody I want you guys to put up here. If you guys can do that. Yeah. Okay, sweet. All right, so how do you guys know who this is? And you just by a show of hands, anybody know who that is, okay? Well, actually, not many of you. That's interesting. This is one of the most popular people in the world. He's a Portuguese man. And to keep on, uh, on topic for uh, what's happening right now, the, the World Cup, um, his team lost yesterday. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Um, that's Cristiano Ronaldo. He is known as number one or number two, depending on your, you know, your leanings, in the world at one of the most popular sports in the world, football, like the one you play with your feet, not the, not the other one. Um, so most people, I mean, what, what would you say you know about this guy? You know, people adore this man. They worship, right? We use the same word. You worship this man because he is so good at football. Okay? I found out, you know, watching the World Cup, Ronaldo's not even his last name. That's one of his middle names. One of. He has like three of them. It's Portuguese. They have a lot of names. But he was named after not one of the famous footballers named Ronaldo, which there are many, many, many. He was named after Ronald Reagan. Yeah, the actor and president, okay? His dad was a fan of him as an actor. So more things I didn't know. Did you also know he also gives to a lot of charities? He also had a heart condition when he was young that actually stopped him from being able to play football. He had, he had surgery and was back on the pitch the next week. This man works very hard. He's, you know, a superstar in his small country of Portugal, and he's able to often, and that's why he's praised for, bring his country up, elevate the people around him, right? That's, and that's, you know, you can go on Wikipedia and find out a lot more. And he's a pretty amazing guy. But is he worth worship? Now, the thing is, people will worship him. People look at him. They adore him. But they just know him from the stuff he does on the pitch, from the stuff that they see him do week in and week out on his club team and on the national team. Sport. Close your eyes for a second. I'll ask you to join this exercise. I want you to think of someone or something that you love. Okay? It could be 
you know, an American footballer. It could be, you know, video games. It could be, I, I, I don't care what it is, something that you love, right? And you think about the different levels of love, it doesn't matter. Is it brotherly? Is it just, you know, is it family love? Whatever it is, think about that person. Think about that thing. Now, I want you to think about how you show them, if it's a person or an animal, how do you show them or how do you show others, if it is a thing, how do you show others that you love that thing or that person? What is it that you do to show them that? How do you express it? Now, keep that in mind as we go through. Because I, when I close my eyes, you know, I think I've only been married for about four years, but I, you know, I think of my wife, of course, um, every single time. Like, yeah, that's the first thing that pops in my mind. And I'm doing everything I can, for the most part, to communicate that. Sometimes um, I feel like they fall short. Sometimes I feel like they lack love. And that's something we talked about last week at the beginning of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If any of the actions that you do lack love, then they're worthless, right? That's just a paraphrase. It's not exact. But that's the basic idea. We must be able to show that love. If it does not have love, we cannot show that it is love. If we're not doing something that is loving in that, it doesn't mean anything. Now, in that same conversation about me and my wife, uh, you know, how many of you guys have heard of love languages or anything like that? Okay. Um, it's, it's a fun Fun thing to learn about. It's learn about yourself. Learn about people that you know, you know, relationally, you know, friendship. It doesn't really matter how far. But love languages are, I feel they're a pretty real thing, you know. But they spend a lot of time in, uh, well, I guess, the secular world. But thinking about, like, how people communicate their love. Okay? Like I said, I like languages. So this was interesting to me. Okay? So the five main ones. And I've, I've seen a list with a different number. But five is basically the number that is, uh, is given. But... The love languages are physical touch, right? You enjoy that or you enjoy giving that. Uh, gifts, right? You like gifts and you like giving them. Service, you know, doing things for someone else or having things done for you. Quality time, sitting next to each other on the couch. Is that quality time or is it speaking with them? And words of affirmation, you know, people giving you praise, you giving praise to others. So, we, we all kind of experience and appreciate different levels of these, regardless of who we are. Some of us really are into gifts. My wife likes gifts a lot. It took me a while to learn that because I'm not a gift person. And I, I find that as, you know, not to say it's a sexist thing or anything like that. Women seem to like gifts, but they keep getting told. Every single guy is like, this is my advice for you. Make sure you, okay, yes, all right, I get it, okay? But that's an important thing for me to realize that that's not how I speak my language. That's how she speaks her love language. And that I must speak that language in order for her to feel loved. So instead of doing that, right, thinking about our own language, oh yes, because like me, I'm like, I, I enjoy um, quality time. That's probably one of the ones that, you know, when we take those tests, I get score high. I enjoy quality time. And for me, that looks different than it does for others. You know, sometimes actually just sitting and, you know, playing video games next to the person that you're playing video games with is quality. Because you're chatting, you're having conversation. Sometimes you're being really intense about it. But I enjoy that. That doesn't fill my wife up. So we have to do more than that. I have to speak her language. She has to speak mine. Um, if we could go ahead and pull up in Corinthians, the second half of that chapter from 9 through 12. Okay. When they came to, I feel like this is, that's Chronicles. That is the wrong one. So I'm going to go and pull this one up here. So the second half of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at uh, verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I become a man, became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but when I will know fully, just as I, uh, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. So I guess that question is, just like 
Cristiano Ronaldo, do we have the full picture? Do we know? Does he like words of affection or affirmation? Does he like gifts? Right? Do we really know him? I mean, most of us probably just say no. He's just, no. But the same thing of our personal relationships, of our friendships. Do I know the rest of the band up here? Do I know them? Do I know what their language is? Do I know what speaks to them? Do I know the love that I'm supposed to be sharing them? Take that to the next level. Do we know God in that way? Do we know how we can speak to him? How, what is his love language? In uh, John 4, 22 and 24, Jesus is at uh, the well with a Samaritan woman. I believe that is the, past, uh, the passage I'm looking at here. I'll pull it up before I get into it. She's at the, he's at the well with the Samaritan woman, and that's in that culture, in the Jewish culture, they did not speak with. They did not partake in anything with. They did not participate with Samaritans. And we know the, the story of the Good Samaritan and all that, and that's, that's along those same lines. And then, again, back in the day when it wasn't appropriate for men to be speaking with women alone, he was doing both of these things. So it was a big deal that he was talking with this woman. And this woman is, you know, talking about God. This woman is asking him questions about the Christ. And he obviously knows the answers to them. You know, he, he goes around it a little bit. You know, he has this conversation with her. And he um, brings up the point, like, how wonderful it is that she, someone who is outside of his culture, understands who God is. But she, she, uh, uh, she says something that, that gets to him. And he realizes, yes, you, you understand this, but what it says in uh, verse 22 you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, talking about the Jews, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I'd say that's high praise to her. He's talking about the fact that she does not understand, and yet she worships. But how, and I ask you guys, how, how much does that worship mean to God? It means a lot. He asks us to worship him. He knows that he is worthy of our worship. We know that. Then why does he talk about the Jews in that same sentence? Salvation comes from the Jews, yes, but we worship what we do, not, what we do know, what we know, what we understand. So do we understand? We, in this case, are probably in the same category as the Jews. We understand. We have the Bible. We've been reading it. We know it, right? We, you know, we can read the scripture out loud. We can memorize it. We can tell people, you know, John, you know, uh, read 316 out to them. We can do all this stuff. Do we know God? Do we understand who he is and what language he speaks? Now, I personally believe that God is, you know, being in the mold of our being, appreciates all of the love languages because each of us appreciates the different ones. So the, and since we're made in his image, that makes sense. Now, the big thing is, though, he asks us to love one another. So for us to love God, we must love one another. We must understand each other's love languages. We must understand the ones that we don't know much about or don't express ourselves. We look for love in a way that it is expressed to us ourselves. It's a selfish thing, as Pastor Joe mentioned last week. So one of the things that I look through, right, we, you know, our understanding of God has changed over the course of the Bible. And it probably has changed for you over the course of your life. And that's pretty normal. It's, uh, I would even say that's uh, you know, it's a, it's a joke about, like, those of you that like the Beatles. And you know the Beatles are. You know, when, when you're young, you, you, you like John Lennon. You know, you're all about John Lennon. By the time you're, you're older, you're like, well, maybe, maybe George or Paul, right? John Lennon was out there. He's vigorous. He's, yeah. And then you're like, well, you know, I'm a little bit older. It's time to sit back and enjoy some, some basic tunes, Okay. God doesn't ask us to do that. It doesn't change. 
If you like the Beatles, you like the Beatles in the end. You love them. If you love God, you love God in the end. So at the beginning, right, we see God as the creator in Genesis. That's all that Adam and Eve know him as, as far as we know, at first. That's it. That's all we know of him as. And then, immediately, we like, oh, he's the disciplinarian. He's something to fear. Oh, oh, I ate from the apple. I wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, I got to be expelled, right? And that's it. For a long time, that's all that we know about God. Then we get more of the disciplinarian in Exodus. We get king, Lord, as a strength, as a conqueror and shepherd during the Psalms. A refuge, protector, comforter, right? We learn more and more about him. As loving, we continue through the Bible. We get more and more of these pieces as the husband of the church. Finally, as the redeemer. Bits and pieces that we learn about him so we understand maybe what his love language is, what we should be expecting, uh, expressing to him. Now, as most of you guys know, I have a son. He's just over one years old, and it's been a joy and a pleasure seeing him learn and learning all these different things. I, I understand that image of God as the father way more, way, way more now as a father. And I'm sure for you as mothers, it's a similar concept. Now, I, I, I think the last time I spoke up here, it was about Father's Day, and I said, yeah, you know, God as the father, and, you know, I had to understand that strong because me and my father did not get along very well in my teenage years. Huh, fancy that. Okay. <laughs> but the big deal is, is that I searched for him as the father. I looked for something that was important to me in him. I wasn't looking at any other aspect. So the idea is that you need to grow out of that. You have to grow beyond that. You have to see a bigger picture. Yes, he's the father, but he's also the creator. Right? If you turn God into the personal God and that one aspect only speaks to him, then you're missing a lot of what other people experience in God. You're missing a lot of your love to others because you don't understand their love language to God as well. And they're not trying to understand yours. And then we're all in our little tunnels with our personal God, not doing what we're supposed to do, love each other. So my wife is currently reading a book. Um, there's a, a group that she's in, a, a book club, I guess. It was started by one of my university colleagues. Um, very smart. Actually, she spoke here at our first spring festival. Um, before moving out to Texas. So um, this, the book is called Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God. Um, my wife really likes reading aloud to me. And uh, so she, like, when she finds a passage that she really likes, she's like, oh, Edward, you have to listen to this. So one of the things that she read is that the writer is positing that our understanding of who God is is biblically culminated, right? As it, it ends, right, in the writing of the gospel. We start in Genesis with the creation, we end with Christ. That's, that's, we get to see him, God in a bod, as they say, right? How he lived, how God would be if he was a human. That's him. He nailed it. He knows exactly. We now know exactly what he is. But even with that, I have to say we're still missing some things. Because guess what? People wrote it. There's, there are parts of the stories that aren't there. There are bits and pieces that are not there. We don't know everything. We don't know exactly what he ate. We know he had some bread and some wine at times. There might have been some grapes involved. Just the area of the world he was in. I'm just assuming, you know. But the thing is, we don't know everything, everything. We know a much better, much clearer picture. As Jesus was saying, we saw in a mirror darkly. Now, if we continue to read, if we continue to implore, if we continue to pray and continue to look into and continue to really commune with each other and with God. If we are all in his image, we are all looking into each other as a mirror darkly, as a picture of God. If we get a bigger picture, and we talk about the body, we get that bigger picture, it gets more clear. So, I kind of skipped around, man. I don't even know where I'm at right now. So Jesus right now, right? Jesus, as we look at him, he's the ultimate the ultimate showing of what our worship should look like. The ultimate showing of what love is. Right? And so the thing is, 
if the writings of the, God, uh, the writings of the Bible came all the way through, the culmination all the way through the gospel, then Jesus tells us the answers. Okay? He came not to abolish everything before. He came to fulfill everything before. He says so. And that obviously then makes sense. So how does everything before the gospel help our understanding of who God is? I know when I read Deuteronomy, I'm not necessarily excited about God. When I read Numbers, it does not really get me pumped. Okay, I'm not like, yes, all right, God, he begat who? Okay, it's, it's, but why? Why is that there? What does that tell us about our God? Why is that important? So we, again, me and my, stories about my life, right? Me and my wife read through uh, the storybook Bible with, with our son. And um, it's, uh, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is the Bible light, if you will. Um, it's, it takes a lot of different stories and it relates them all to Jesus, directly points it to. It tells you like, hey, this little story here, this story about Daniel and the lion's den points directly to Jesus. And how? Yes, and it's not exactly the scripture, but it, you know, it's a paraphrase. And it's a pretty good one. Me and my wife learn a lot from this. It's actually really good, insightful stuff. But it doesn't have just you know, Daniel and the lion's den and Jonah and the whale and all the classic stories and Noah and the ark. It also has Naaman. The story of Naaman. How many of you guys know the story of Naaman or remember the story of Naaman? This guy was an Assyrian general, was sick. And he had a slave woman that knew, I think it was a slave girl, that knew, oh, we have a prophet that can heal him. My God can heal this man. Why would she want to do that? This man is, you know, again, has entire entire uh, nation enslaved right now. Why would he want to heal the general of this nation that has him enslaved? Enslaved. Well, I mean, that's that's beyond that's beyond our personal understanding. That's something that's God. That has to be. There's nothing beyond that. Now, that's a great story to tell your kids and be like, hey, yeah, because even if you don't. Personally, like, I, I, don't, I don't like this guy because he enslaved us. God still loves that man. Understanding what his needs are. He had uh, leprosy. Understanding what his needs are and that I can help him. That's way bigger. That's way bigger. Trying to understand is way bigger than ourselves. Now, it's been really great watching my son learn. Um, his understanding of things is really simple at this point. You know, he, he knows. Uh, we, we've been teaching him sign language, so this is please. And uh, he, uh, he and this is emphatic please, apparently. Um, it doesn't matter. Oh, we have food. Oh, we have a video game controller. Oh, we have a pencil. Okay, dude, you can't have everything we have right now. That's just not a thing. But he's trying to communicate himself what he needs, what he wants. And we know, well, that's not, he doesn't need the pencil. What does he actually need? He needs our affection at this point. Okay, but him, him learning and him getting that basic thing, is, is, I, I love it. I, it's, I mean, as a teacher as well, and that's one of the things that brings me great joy is seeing people learn and grow. Now, I found a large detriment that a, lo a lot of people that come to Christ initially they're, uh, they only know the, the hippie Jesus that uh, came to save us from, our angry, from his angry dad, right? You're like, yeah, man, hippie Jesus, he's, he's awesome, you know? He, he just wants us to, to, to praise him. He wants us to love each other, and it's great, and he saved us from his dad. His dad is so angry all the time. The worst part about that is, you know, hey, I mean, it's partially true, but the worst part is that they never go any deeper than that. They only know, yes, Jesus came to save us. There's so much more. What are we supposed to do with that? How do we express that love? How do we express what Jesus asked us to do, what God has asked us to do since creation? They've been told over and over again, these people have been told that they're broken and in need of healing. And that's, they never grow out of that. They continually dwell on the fact, oh, yes, I'm broken. I can't do I'm broken. God saved me. 
I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm broken. But when, when are you not broken? Paul calls us saints if we believe. Do you think of a saint as broken? There comes a point when uh, the Spirit fills us up and we are no longer broken. We are a vessel for God. We must act like that. We must live like that. If we fall into the rote, oh, yeah, I just got to do. Oh, I just got to, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I got to do this in order to fix that. We're no better than the Pharisees. We're no better than the people that Jesus continually is like, yo, you got it wrong. Yo, the rote way to live is not it. You're missing the point. You're missing me. I think about Paul, you know, a lot of us are really great fans of Paul. It was a, there was a short time there, it was not, because different reasons. You're going to have a conversation about that, we can. But I understand his purpose. I, that was a short time, but I understood, and it was a different, there's different reasoning behind it. Paul, though, was a Pharisee. We don't really talk about that that much. Paul was a Pharisee. He was the best Pharisee. He was zealous. He was like, there's no way that this movement with this Jesus is anything part of our scriptures. I've read them. I know them better than anybody else. And he did. And that's why Jesus met him and was like, you know the scripture. Let me show you the scripture that you may actually understand it. By him meeting Paul on that road, and for us, for him meeting us wherever it is that we are, that's him giving us the understanding. It's him trying to, at least, allowing us to understand. Paul, imagine this high-level scientist scholar. He knows, he's genius, and he's studied all this for so long, he knows everything. And all of a sudden, he flips a switch. That was the one thing I was missing. Paul had that moment. How many of us have? The people of Israel were looking for a vengeful God because they wanted vengeance for their land being taken away. So when Jesus came and said, love, they were like, mm, crucify him. That's not what we were looking for. They were speaking their own love language. They were speaking their own language. They weren't listening to what God had been saying since the beginning. Love. And we haven't been much different than them. Yeah, hopefully uh, we're a little bit better because we can learn from them. It's, it's fun reading about the Jews and their back and forth with God. And hopefully understanding that we do the same thing. We have that tendency with God. Now, we've been looking in Galatians as we're kind of in between that Paul implores the Galatians to move away from those rote teachings that have kind of seeped back into the community. And a lot of these people were not Jewish before, but the ones that were, they came in and were like, yeah, but we have, you're not doing this, and you're not doing that, and you're not doing this. That lens, that one piece that they were missing, Paul is asking for them to find again. I came there to tell you these little so on and so forth, as we've been reading about. So how do we know for ourselves? You uh, pull up John 15, 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Yes, that could mean die for you. That's literally what it meant for Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. On a basic level, empty yourself. Allow yourself to take in what others need and give back. Don't be looking for yourself. Give yourself up. Look into their needs. Find out what they are. Seek to understand. Get that face-to-face -face with the other person. Right? I and mean, we're living in a world where social media is, is king. 
Some of you use it, some of you don't. Some of us use it for awesome. Some of us don't use it at all. Some of us pretend like it's, you know, we're stalkers. That's not getting to know people. Get to know them. Some people, that's the best way to communicate. Then you, if you've learned that, then do something with it. Be with him now. Be with these people now. Because that's where God is. If we are made in his image and our spirit is filled with him, then that's where God is. We see God every day. And a lot of us are missing it. So this is the time. The thing is to think about how can we show that? Think about that person we thought of back in, you know, originally, that exercise we did. How can we do that? How are we going to show that love? How do we show our worship to God? Everything we do is a show of worship to something. Like the people that know Cristiano Ronaldo is. They make big giant posters. They, you know, if they're teenage kids, they got like posters all over the wall in their room. How do they show their worship? We know that that kid loves Cristiano Ronaldo. He worships him. He wants to be like him. How do we show our worship to God? Where are all of our Jesus posters? probably thrown away at this point because we're not teenagers anymore. But how do we show it? It shouldn't go away. Like I said, with the Beatles, it shouldn't go away. It doesn't change. We change. But God didn't. God hasn't. How are we still showing our worship? Understand that that is going to be the understanding of who we are to other people. If we are showing that, if we're showing the love that we are, I mean, this is what we're here for. That is what following Christ is, is what being Christ-like is. God said that he will know from our deeds. He will know from us. It's not, we don't have to tell them because we can show them. Show them that love. People will know who we are. And that's our calling. Psalm chapter 2, starting with verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with an iron rod. You shall scatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him.
flags and play the peaks above in full display.
Morning, everybody. It's a beautiful morning, isn't it? It's good to be, like I always say, in the house of the Lord on this day. Join me in my offertory prayer this morning. Lord, God, Master, all these apply to you, for you are such an awesome God. Lord, most of the time we come to you with our prayers, lifting up some people, though maybe you're sick or need help. We need you to be with us. But Lord, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to say thank you for all the many blessings that you've given me this day. Thank you for my family, my church. You're such a holy God. And Lord, there was part of the music today that just touched my heart and said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. With your presence, Lord, I can face all the tomorrows of the future because I know you are our hope. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Deeper. 